after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham, Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them each half over against the other, but did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we, your word is, is a, a lamp to our feet and a light for our path, and we ask that you would light our path here this morning. Uh, shed light on, on this, your word, but also on our path. Lord, make sense of our lives for us this morning, and use your word to do so. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. All right. Well, have you ever had a DTR? Some of y'all are saying yes. Some of y'all are wondering what I'm talking about. You ever had a DTR? That's, that's a define the relationship. Uh, well, Kristen and I have had a few of those while we were dating in high school. Um, you know, what are we? Are we just friends? Are we for real for real? Like, I mean, do you ever get stuck in friend zone? Oh, that was my nightmare. <laughs> friend zone is what happens like when you're just too afraid to ask the girl that you like if you're, if you're more than just friends or when the girl wants to be it's just friends. Like, <laughs> once you're in friend zone, it's almost impossible to get out of it. You're like, are we going steady? Are we going out? Are, are we boyfriend? Are we girlfriend? Are we exclusive? Are, are we courting? Like, like what are we? <laughs> like, I need to know, is the relationship good or is it not? I mean, have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered that with God? Are we good? Are we okay? I mean, there's fear when you don't know. Like, oddly enough, covenant theology is going to be the perfect uh, place to look for dating advice. Not really. No, no. But, but it is really helpful in defining the relationship. And so today we're going to talk about covenant theology 
and how it answers the question, you know, why baptism? But more importantly, it answers our relation, what, you know, what's our relationship with God like? Are we exclusive? Are we for real, for real? Like, like, how can I know how you'll react to me, God? Today, you can walk away knowing, not wondering, but knowing how God sees your relationship. Like, you can know where you stand with God. You know, we need a DTR. We need to define the relationship. And today, we're going to define this relationship through the lens of covenant theology. We're going to look at, at the nature of the covenants, at the blessings of the covenants, and lastly, at the curses of the covenants. And so, nature, blessings, curses. Now, when I say covenant, how many of you uh, know what I'm actually talking about? Go ahead and raise your hands. I don't know if you're saying yes or no right now, uh, but it, it, it feels like an archaic word to describe a relationship that we have with God, because really there, there isn't a better word that we use in our day today. You know, covenant theology is, is this a way of understanding how God relates to mankind. And, and in the days of the Old Testament, like covenants were re these relationships between kings and his people. And really, it, a covenant is a, it's a contract. Just like you signed a contract for your house, said, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, even, even the small little contract that you couldn't read from iTunes, like that's, that's a contract. Now, now these contracts are, are specifically for, for how God relates to mankind. And, and, and they're used all over scripture. And so like just last week, we, we heard about God creating man uh, and, and woman uh, in the Imago Dei, you know, perfect royalty. And God gave them this contract or this covenant that said, you know, don't eat from the tree and you get blessings. If you do eat from it, you get curses. These are the parameters of our contract. This is what we call a covenant of works. Uh, because Adam and Eve had to work for the blessings. And, and this is just really just how the way of the world worked. Like, do this and live. Don't do these things and die. Or as Genesis 3 says, die, die. And so, perfect obedience. <laughs> right? Not a high bar at all. Like, and then as we know, Adam and Eve sinned. And what happened? Well, they didn't die. You wonder, what happened? Like, how is that possible? That's because God created another covenant called the covenant of grace. Now, right there in Genesis 3, we see this covenant. And, and these two covenants are, are interwoven you know, all throughout the Bible. Now, now I'm, stick with me. I know we can get extra nerdy in, into this right now. When, when covenants are created, the language that God used here is to cut a covenant. Why cut? Because a covenant isn't a paper contract. It is a bond in blood, and it always costs life. And after Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing that happened, God covers her nakedness with the skins of animals. I mean, think about that. Like, the first death to ever enter the world cut these animals to cover their sin. And so God cut his covenant with them, and then Adam sinned, and the whole world went crazy. They had, they had children. One murdered the other. And then they had more children, and more and more and more, until the time of Noah, only three chapters later in Genesis 6. And we see in Genesis 6 that the world is just filled to the brim with people. But we read that their hearts were only evil continually. And so God sends a flood to wipe everyone out. It's a gruesome story, not necessarily the Sunday school story you might want to think of, of happy you know, drafts. Um, but when it's all over, God speaks to Noah and says, I will never do that again. And so he cuts a covenant with Noah and says in, in Genesis 9-11, he says, I establish my covenant with you 
that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And then to sign or mark that covenant, I'm, I'm going to put a rainbow in the skies to be a, a reminder of what I promised. And then later in the book of Exodus, God makes a covenant with Moses uh, and his people around the Ten Commandments. You keep your part, I'm going to keep mine, and we'll be okay. Again, you see this, this covenantal language with, with David and later on. And so, so covenants are, are, are all over the Bible. And that term covenant was a term that was actually borrowed it was the Bible borrowed this term to describe how God was going to relate to mankind. It was a term that was actually already around in the ancient Near East. It was to describe how suzerain kings or superior kings would relate to their vassals or, or their servants. The, the su suzerain is this, this overlord, this high king, and the vassal is this lesser. And there's, there's a clear distinction. And, and, and the way this would work out is the vassal takes an oath of obedience to do whatever the suzerain required of them. And in return, they could live on their land or receive the protection of their, whatever their contract stipulations were. And it's important to note is none, none of the stipulations applied to the overlord. So the way the Hittite suzerain treaty was laid out, the stipulations are binding only on the vassal. The king doesn't have to really keep his end of the bargain because it's it's just grace that he's even having such a conversation with, with such a peon, right? And so how does God relate to mankind in this type of relationship? Like, uh-oh. But God can and does borrow this term that the culture has, a term that was born in, in non-religious anti-Yahweh area, and he repurposes it for good. Just you wait. For God begins this whole passage with verse 1 and says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Ooh, I love that. Don't worry. Rest. I am your shield. I am your armor, your protector. I will block the enemy's arrows from hitting you. And so we're going to enter into a covenant. And now with a covenant, you have, you, you, you keep the stipulations, the requirements of the covenant, and there are blessings and there are curses if you do not. And so just like YouTube says, you know, you can use this free service to, to post your, your, your church service. There's the blessings. But if you post songs without license to do so, the curses will come down upon you and will take down your content. Right? There's blessings and curses. And so the blessings that God offers Abram is children and land. And that's significant to Abram as, as he's getting older in the years and he has no children. And after 75 years, you might think that's probably not going to happen. You know, what's it going to take, Lord? <laughs> and in verse 3 it says, And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household, or one of his employees, will be my heir. But God promises in verse 4, says, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Or the Hebrew says, What, what comes out from your own loins will be your heir. Just to be graphic. And, and, and not that you're just going to have one child. He takes Abraham outside to the outside of his tent and says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Like, think of that promise. You're going to have so many children, you won't even be able to count them. And right now we have zero. So the other promise was, was, was one of land. 
which was significant since God told Abram when he called him, leave your land, leave your country, all that you know, and follow me. And Abram is, is a nomad, wandering wherever the Lord leads. I mean, is it hard to trust God? Is it hard to believe in spite of your present circumstances? I mean, Abram would probably say, yes, 70 plus years of evidence against the contrary would make it hard to believe. And what does it say Abram did? It says in verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, note, it doesn't say that he believed in the Lord. It says he believed the Lord. How many of you believe in God? That's good. That's necessary. But there are many out there, and some who are watching today, that believe in the Lord, but don't believe the Lord. You can believe there is a God without trusting in him. And many of you might be wondering, does God really love me? How can I know? Does this virus mean he's angry with me? Do my circumstances demand a response? But Abram believes the Lord. He believes him at his word. Right here. Right now. But then, verse 8 says, But he said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And you might be saying, No! Now he's gone and done it! He doubted God! How am I to know? Be careful! Like, clear the room! God's about to pour down some fire upon him! Nope, nothing. God, act God actually hears him out. Let me tell you, God can handle your doubts. Abram is wondering, can I really trust God? Is he really for me? And many of you have wondered that. Like, and I would just say, it's okay. In fact, I encourage you to bring that to him. God isn't offended by your doubts. He, he, he's having contract negotiations with Abram right now. We're still writing out the details of the contract. Ask your questions of God. We like to think of, of contracts, though, as being this cold and heartless you know, document. And, and, and there, there are many out there that say, like, you know, I don't need a, to sign a piece of paper to tell you how much I love you. And so they don't get married. And, and, and to them, that signifies a deeper relationship. They think the contract ruins it. But what they're really saying when, when they do this is, I don't love you enough to limit my options. What they're really saying is, is I'm not that committed to you. So don't believe them. Like, they want a consumeristic relationship, not a covenantal one. Most relationships we have are, are consumeristic. Only, I'm only in it as long as you're meeting my needs. So like, I like my pharmacy. It's perfectly fine. But if we get another one on Elm Avenue and the prices are cheaper, well, bye. <laughs> so, sorry CVS, you no longer meet my needs. I know that's consumeristic, and, but those, those relationships are kind of needed sometimes. Like, those interactions are okay. but. But a covenant is not I'm committed as long as you're meeting my needs. A covenant is I'm committed whether you hold up your end of the bargain or not. It's a binding oath through thick and thin. And so Abram is asking in this passage, how can I know that you're not just going to bail on me? I've been let down before. I've had people make big promises before and they went back on their promise. And so how can I trust that you won't turn back on your promise, God? And he asked that twice here. In verse 2, Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? 
for I continue childless. And then in verse 8, he says, but he said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And that's where the curses come in. And oddly enough, the curses of a contract are actually good. The curses of a contract give teeth to it. Like, if there were no consequences to speeding, I think we'd all just be speeding happily, going 80 miles per hour in the city. If there are no consequences to not paying taxes, I think we'd all be paying a lot less taxes. Like, the curses are actually a reminder that we're taking the relationship seriously. And so Abram asks God, how can I know that you're taking this seriously? And God answers in verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now you might be thinking, what? How do I know you're taking this seriously? Bring me some animals? You, you want to make a contract? Shouldn't we get like a pen and paper and sign on the dotted line? But we're, we're having an animal farm over here? The reason this sounds so ludicrous um, is because we just didn't live in that time. Like, Abraham, Abraham did what everyone in those days would have known. Like, we're setting up a contract for a covenant contract, and how do we sign this contract? You know, you know at a wedding, sometime after the ceremony, you know, all, I, as the, the minister, will, will go with the bride and the groom, and we'll sign the contract. We'll get two witnesses, and we'll, sign, we'll all sign it saying, legally, you're married. Like, legally saying you are bound to one another. I take you in plenty and in want and sickness and sorrow until death do us part. But how do I know that you'll love me? I'm not just saying it. I'll sign on it. And so in our culture, like, if you haven't signed, there's no consequences. Like, if I didn't actually sign the papers, I didn't actually buy the car, okay, you pushy car salesman. Like, back up. I didn't sign. <laughs> like, we have to sign a piece of paper. But not back then. Back then they would act out the consequences of unfaithfulness as their signature. This is part of the suzerain covenantal ritual. They would act out the consequences of not fulfilling their part. And so you may have noticed that God said, only said, bring the animals, and Abraham did bring the animals. And then in verse 10 it says, and he brought them all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So Abram knew what this was. This sounds odd to you and me, but Abram knew what was happening here. He, he was, he was a, an actor acting out this scene. There, there was a play being acted out where you cut all these animals in half, stack them on either side of one another, and when you walk through them, that act of walking through them was saying, may I also be cut in half if I don't fulfill my end of the deal just like these animals. Cut me in half if I don't pull my weight just like this goat. I mean, it's incredibly violent. I mean, this is, there will be blood. I drink your milkshake type stuff. But it made you see how serious they took this commitment. Like, I'd say the next time you have your cable guy come over to your house, I'd say get some animals, cut them in half, and invite him to, to walk through this with you. You know, I would say you probably get the gold package or something like that, right? <laughs> We're taking this serious now. And I'd say the shocking thing is not that this whole thing is being done because this was normal. The shocking thing, if you understood this culture, the shocking thing that happens right here is what happens in verse 12 and who walks in it. 
Verse 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then jump to verse 17. And when the sun had gone down and was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. The Hebrew word for smoking pot and flaming torch are, are just these translations of two words. And, and these two words could be translated uh, billowing smoke and blazing lightning. These are the two images that show up when God appears on Mount Sinai with Moses. And it's the same images of when God leads his people in Israel uh, with the pillar of smoke by day and, a, and fire by night. I mean, it's a theophany. It's an image of God. And since God is, is a spirit, how do you encapsulate his awesome presence? Like one pastor said it this way, it's this floating pot. Don't think of a pot that's over your stove. It's, it's trying to say this, this smoke. It, it's a storm of smoke and, and a searing streak of lightning that is just holding still and holding its shape, appearing, and they're passing through the two pieces of these animals. And so God the Almighty is walking through the pieces, which is shocking in itself. But even more shocking is who doesn't walk through there? Abram doesn't walk through it at all. I mean, oh, this is scandalous. Like, by covenantal standards, this is scandalous. This is why this passage is probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Old Testament. Because as you remember from before, the king didn't even have to participate in the treaty. It was the vassal that would have to walk through the animals and say, I will bring you so many crops, and if I don't, O king, may I be torn asunder. And yet, here we have God saying, I will be faithful to this promise or I will be cut into two. Not only will I receive the penalty if I fail, I'll take on the penalty if you fail. And so no matter what, you can count on my promises. I mean, covenants are not this synergistic where you do your part and I do my part and we'll, the, the, the things will work. No, it's monergistic. I will do my part no matter if you do your part. And so that God gives Abram's questions, his questions earlier, I mean, it, it gives it a new meaning, I think. Like, Abram's questions earlier about, can I trust you? Really, I never thought you would break your promises. I was asking, how am I to know that in spite of me, we will get this land and these children? How can I know that I shall possess the land and get the child in spite of me? Because the big problem is, and has always been, not you, but me. How can I know that I won't break your promises and ruin the whole thing? I mean, it's like Mike tr trusting Michael Scott with a secret. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. Like, how can I know that I won't blow this relationship and you're going to strike me down dead? And God says, I'm going to go through it alone. I will fulfill both ends of the covenant. Mm. Paul explains this more in Romans 3 where he says, God is both now the ju is both just and and the justifier. He is making sure the contract gets fulfilled, and he makes the party who fails it to be right. And so there are, are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? Yes. Does God work through a covenant of works or through a covenant of grace? Yes. <laughs> like, God fulfills the conditions with the law perfectly with his life. He fulfilled the terms of the blessings, and his sacrificial death fulfills the curse of the covenant. Like, he received the conditions of the covenant so that we can receive the unconditional nature of it. I mean, we see this plays out only a chapter later for Abram. I mean, so Genesis 15, we look to Genesis 16. It's 10 years later for Abram. And still he doesn't have a child. 
And so he's he's wondering, am I, is God actually going to keep his end of the bargain? And so he has a child out of wedlock. Instead of God tearing him apart like those two animals, he shows him mercy. And then when Abram was 99 years old, he gets his first child. And God makes a covenant with him and says in chapter 17, 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And where is the blood for this covenant, that, that there's always blood in these covenants, it's marked with circumcision. God cuts a covenant with Abraham by circumcising him and all the males who are in his household eight days old or older as a sign that one was brought into a covenantal relationship with God. You are brought into a covenantal family. And so you and I are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. What started out as a family with Abram and Sarah and Isaac becomes a nation, then became nations when Jesus came and lived and died and rose and sent the Holy Spirit to be with us to the ends of the earth. I mean, God saw that mankind could not fulfill the stipulations of the covenant. And so the only path forward was to tear himself apart, just like those animals. At the cross, we see God being torn apart. Jesus' death was God fulfilling his promise way back in Genesis 15. It is finished. And so where do you and I stand with God today? Well, if you put your faith in him, then you enter into a covenant with him where he promises to fulfill everything. And he can't go back on his word. He's already paid the penalty of our breaking it. Amen? Well, so what? One, if, if you understand this theology, it, it leads you into paradoxical obedience. Now, some might say, if God fulfills the requirements of the covenant, whether I obey or not, then, then why obey? It's like, if I get free cable, then why am I going to tell the company that, you know, to start charging me? Well, when you understand that Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the covenant at infinite cost to himself, then because you're now united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, it makes you say, I've got to take those command seriously. With all my might, I want to obey Jesus now. This isn't free cable. It's not free grace. It's costly grace. Why would I treat it like nothing? It moves me to want to obey. But second, covenantal theology, I mean, it gives you freedom. I mean, once you have the DTR, I mean, there's freedom. This is, this is how we're going to relate. Like in marriage, once you sign the dotted line, like that tells the person, I am committed to you no matter what, and there's peace and freedom. You get peace when you know God is this committed to you. Obviously, we know there are, there are times in marriage where that doesn't work out, where marriages break down, but that, that's where this analogy breaks down. Because God is unilaterally committed to you. He is faithful to you even when we are faithless. Lastly, this should move you and me to church membership. Like once you understand how God works in, in, in families and in groups and communities, you realize you, you just can't go it alone. Like he invites you to be baptized into a covenantal community. Joining the church is an act of response. So, you know, today we were going to present our first new member class. <laughs> But we'll wait till we're in person and we'll, we'll do our church membership class, another church membership class in a couple of Saturdays. And we'll give you more information about that.
But baptism is this new sign of the covenant that you become part of a greater community and family bound covenantally to our God. And, and these covenant communities are built to care for one another, to, to, to call one another out if we're, if we're strained, to act justly. And these covenantal communities are, are to remind one another that when we forget that we have one who walked through the pieces alone. Amen. Let's pray.